And now let me cross over to Andrew Dembina for the latest local and global food and drink news. Okay. Good afternoon <laughs> to you, Andrew. Afternoon. You made that sound very grand, Claudia. Yes. I thought, well, you know, just give you an <laughs> <Thanks>. entrance. <laughs> yeah. So B- what have you got? You're, you're picking it up. And yes, I'm starting, unfortunately. I have to follow that with a, uh, a <laughs> junk food um, a sort of... Uh, uh, link, but it's a good one. It's a healthy one. <laughs> okay. Uh, because, yeah, junk food advertising has been banned on public transport in London. Mm. And, yeah, it happened um, over the last six to uh, eight months, I think. And uh, a report in a newspaper, The Guardian, last week in the UK uh, was talking about a study which. Uh, put forward its findings that an estimated 1,000 calorie decrease um, in household food purchases per week is associated with the advertising or the non-advertising campaign of things like chips and burgers and chocolate and all all the sort of things that put on the calories. Oh, that's interesting. How do they measure that? Stuck to, um, they followed up with. I'll find the figure of how many people. A lot of people, a lot of households, were polled to get mm-hmm. who agreed to take part in right. uh, a survey. Mm-hmm. And it was researchers. There was an academic uh, project by the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. That's a combination, isn't it? A school mm. of hygiene and tropical medicine in London, where they compared um, two million weekly grocery. Uh, purchases. It didn't say from how many households, mm. but uh, mm. I, I would I would assume uh, uh, however many um, uh, purchases there yeah. were during uh, a, a fixed period sure. over eighteen months that ended uh, a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic really kicked in. It's taken them until now to publish their findings. Mm. It's really good. Yeah. It's good to be in the line of research, I think, if you've got a good couple of years to kind of get your figures together and then release it, you know, two years later. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's not a bad job, is it, Sonia? Yeah, but, I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just talking up the figures all the time. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. good that there is a difference. I mean, I can see it that, like, you know, if you do see a picture of some lovely fries and a burger in front of you and you think, OK, um, mm. yeah, I'll go for that, then if you don't... And you're about- Exactly, and you're about to get off your mode of transport. Because it covers... The advertising, interestingly, was across um, all areas of public transport, including taxis. That's the the name of the organisation that is in charge of all sorts of policies for transport in London. It's called Travel for London, Mm -hmm. and it does cover buses, light rail. There's various types of railways in London these days with the docklands that was reclaimed years ago. Mm-hmm. So there are kind of overhead rails, there are underground yes, buses. Yes, and, yes. It, and it's across all of these. Um, and, it, and it found then in its study that they, the, um, the average amount of calories per person per week had been cut by, now it's not a staggering amount, but 385 calories per week. Well, it's a change. Yeah, mm. to put that into an understandable term for most people, they, they, they chose to do it by standard bars of milk chocolate. Uh, no no <laughs> grams or anything given, but it said that it was like each person having uh, one and a half fewer yes. standard bars of milk chocolate a week. So, okay. But I mean, that's, that's, that, that's good, I guess. Um, the evidence for the effectiveness of this um, was really quite pleasing to those who were in charge of the survey, and they said that they really have been trying to find a way to get people to um, 
to not be binging so much as they noticed, among other things, that there was a lot of litter being found by people who didn't dispose of their snacks and greasy burgers and fries mm, properly that's another when problem, they got off the public it? transport. Yeah. yeah, it is. Things are quite strict about that and always have been. In, in, in Hong Kong, you you can't really, certainly not on um, on MTR. I mean, yeah. I've seen people, I've seen people putting away some food on buses now and then, um, but um, but it's but you don't really see it on no, you don't. on on the MTR. Yeah. In fact, uh, one one time on the MTR when it was in the middle of the summer, I always carry a bottle of water. I've got quite a commute because I live on an outlying island, and several years, many years ago now, but um, one time I was just taking a bottle out of my um, uh, out of my bag because I know you're not supposed to drink on the MTR, but you know when you're really when you, when it's really the middle of the Hong Kong um, summer and you've kind of just got onto the platform and I was kind of in a you know in a in a heap of heat. Mm. Um, I, there was a, there, I didn't get told off in person, but suddenly there was a very loud announcement reminding oh. people not to eat and drink. Oh, so I think I've keeping been an eye on you, probably <laughs> having a having a sip of my water. But um, anyway. So watch out. Do not eat on public transport. Okay, and don't um, buy junk food. No, it's better not to. You don't need to. You don't need to have uh, adverts taken away. But I agree with what you said before. Sometimes in the middle of summer, for instance, if I see a picture of a really nice kind of ice cream, it will. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll kind will. of. I'll, I'll take it as an instruction. Yeah. It happens to me if I'm watching TV. Actually, if I see somebody eating something, and I suddenly think, "Oh, I want that." Yeah, <laughs> but that's yeah, well, just I me. Guess it puts, puts the idea of that, uh, the flavours, the texture, whatever it is about that yeah. uh, that item, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, changing to a different uh, topic, we touched on the growing array of bottled and canned alcoholic drinks that mm. are out there mm. not that long ago, uh, because in that the, the time that we were talking about it, then it was because there had been uh, lots of launches by two of the largest soft drink, carbonated soft drinks producers in the world. But um, in in the same sphere, but not uh, about uh, soft drinks makers going into alcohol, um, there was an interesting article uh, over the last week by Drinks International magazine. Um, They had been looking at the findings of a totally different survey than the one we just started off the program, uh, this segment with. And it's about how during COVID and before that and looking to the future of ready-to-drink alcoholic drinks in bottles or cans have really gone in an upscale direction as well. This is quite different to the made by the most famous fizzy drinks makers. So there's there are some very on-trend Editions like um, last year in 2021, there was something called uh, Panther Milk, which is a vegan oat milk, ready to drink um, alcoholic drink with um, mm. with either various flavours as a base spirit: gin, rum, brandy, and spiced rum. And it was just and using oat milk, and it's vegan. Mm. It's just showing Sounds that things are going yeah. a little more upscale. Yeah. Um, and catering to the, the tastes of the consumer who mm. want to have things that are, um, you know, that are that, that are answerable to their ingredients. Another point that we're, that, you know, we've discussed before in many different ways, but in this case, in the, uh, you know, in the canned drink way. Mm. So, according to um, a uh, one of the world's biggest uh, drinks 
uh, market analysis companies called IWSR. They're, they're generally regarded as really on top of trends in the world of not only alcoholic drinks but also um, soft ones. Uh, it was conducted last year. They predict that um, RTDs, which, which is ready to drink, that's the short form now. Mm. I hadn't heard of that uh, before reading this article, actually. So ready to drink. RTDs. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, are predicted to account for 8% of total beverage alcohol consumed globally by 2025. Gosh. So 8% across the world. It's it was, it was really taken off. Yeah. Um, in, in 2018, the ready-to-drink volumes have been growing faster than any other category of spirits, wine, beer, you name it. And um, there were 10 focused mar- markets that, uh, that the IWSR took into account. Um, from Asia, there was um, Japan, uh, from the Pacific, <coughs> there, was, there was Australia, there was, there was South America, North America, the two countries, and um, Africa, UK, yeah, across Europe as well, there was Germany. Um, so it was really, um, it was looking at the forecast based on what manufacturers were making and what people were buying and what bars were serving and retailers were selling. Mm-hmm. So they've really been totally thorough about this. and. They found out that um, some markets are already a bit saturated. Australia and the UK, they've been around for quite a while. And America, America we used the term uh, in another chat previously, they called them hard seltzers. And um, so that's the, the uh, kind of, you know, spikes, not spikes, they're mixed with alcohol. It's seen the and, alcopop uh, thing, isn't it? It's similar, exactly, it's that, about in the say, UK. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's what they were called when they first came out in the UK, not sure about Australia. Um, but there are new markets, which um, Japan is absolutely booming at the moment, they say, which has a 22% share of the global ready-to-drink market. Gosh. Japan, that small wow. country, compared oh. to America. and uh, Well, no, Australia's large, but not big population. But, but that's still quite a significant amount really so it was rocketing there mm-hmm. while um, also growth is happening in Canada and China big time and there's a, there's a slight increase happening in those older markets including Australia and the UK because of these new um, really upscale types of cocktails that are coming in a can or a bottle um, if, for example, in the UK, a relatively new brand is called White Box, which I've not seen mm-hmm. over here, and they have five, uh, sorry, nine different uh, mixes. One of them is called a Pocket Negroni. That's a gin-based cocktail, mm-hmm. and uh, and another one is designed to just go in the freezer and it doesn't set properly. Uh, that's a, uh, a vodka-based drink, which you know people do put bottles of vodka in the, in the freezer sometimes. So there's a lot of interesting stuff happening, and there are even in the UK um, dedicated shops to to sell ready-made um, alcoholic drinks. Shops Ooh, that are gosh. really their whole focus is that. There's a place um, from t- in 2017 when I was working uh, for a publication that was around the Soho area. That's mm-hmm. where their office was. Mm-hmm. There was um, a, a small, a very small shop that was selling homemade—no, not homemade, but its own custom-made uh, cans in a window display as part of a wine bar and cocktail bar that was very popular in, in its time, which mm-hmm. is now closed down. 
but it was the first time I'd seen a Soho branded bar with its own mm. mix. And it, and, and it put some interesting things in it. It was a great bar. It was such a shame when it closed. And it put in things like um, oolong tea, and it used some okay. Chinese ingredients, star anise, you know, a few okay. flavours from Hong Kong, which was really interesting. Oh, that's interesting. But it's a growth area, yeah. according to this, uh, re this research, which will continue to hit big figures, as we heard, until 2025. Mm. So that's, that's, that's about that. And back to Hong Kong. Uh, I've got a couple of items for with local interest. Mm -hmm. um, a, a very short one. We can't really uh, leave out today, even though we have spoken about it in the past two weeks, not to great length, but without a very, very quick look at where we are this week with coronavirus-affected fresh food supplies. Mm. Last week, we did mention it because last week, mainland drivers who had been put into quarantine and the week before, it was Hong Kong drivers. The forecast... Um, is set, unfortunately, to continue with perishables shortages, uh, price hikes uh, as well as shortages for a bit longer as the, many of these cross-border truckers are still undergoing quarantine. So a cross-border trucker representative told the SCMP um, last week that Hong Kong has only, at that time, had only 50 vegetable truck drivers left out of its usual oh 300. Because right. 250 out of that 300 usual workers were forced to undergo quarantine. So talking about three quarters mm. of the force, so it's bound to make an impact. Yeah. yeah. And Shenzhen has been scrambling to find replacement for over 100 uh, quarantined mainland truck drivers that's still uh, looking for those to fill those places. So let's hope then that new drivers uh, are found and that those that recover do so uh, as smoothly as possible, whether mm. they'll get back to work. I don't know. Would you? But it, it, it's, um, if, you'd, if, you'd, if you'd caught that from your job, I mean, if it's your livelihood, you I might know. not know. And, and that's what the sad thing is, is that, you know, there are so many people who got it, and then because there's such a huge time factor before you get your test results, things like that, mm. that it's bound to have a kind of domino effect, isn't it, that people are going yeah. to be affected by it. But it's, it's also, I suppose, quite a few people who are still waiting and who who are isolating at home, who need to have things in the house so that they don't go shopping every day or anything, you know, that they have stuff, you know, mm. like fruit and veg and stuff like that in the house that they can use for a certain amount of time. So it, it's it's a kind of vicious circle, really, isn't it? There's not much to how do you deal with it? You just have well, to be careful. There are there's a, there is a whole extended vicious circle, I think, because it's unfortunate that this the Omicron uh, variant seems to be you know so much more contagious mm. than other other kinds. So mm -hmm. it makes all sorts of things difficult. From right. uh, also from the viewpoints of those who want to get their vaccinations but not wanting to kind of mingle with those in the queue right. or in the hospital. It's really tough. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I mean, I I I want to get my third one. I haven't had it yet. But um, but, um, but that's that's kind of in my mind now about um, how you know how long the queues are going to be or yeah. walking into a hospital. I think they're I quite know. full at the moment. If you want to book yeah. online it is quite hard to actually get a space at the moment. It's pretty yeah. pretty much chock-a-block. Yeah. But let's right. hope, you know, fingers crossed yeah. things improve Indeed. and Indeed. Uh, things get better. Yeah. yeah, well I've got one last item, mm -hmm. Sadia, and mm -hmm. it, uh, it connects with a couple of pictures that I sent you just before we went on air, Ooh. which you might not have seen yet. 
And it's a good news story. Let's end on a bit of good news. Oh, that food. An old restaurant in Hong Kong that's over half a century old in bricks and mortar moved its premises to just a little spot around the corner. It's in Wan Chai mm-hmm. um, at the end of last year. It's called Kung Ki, and it's um, a two to three generation now uh, family-run restaurant that serves a mixture of uh, some of its own inventions or takes on uh, Cantonese cuisine. Mm-hmm. Some of them are just straightforward cha chan tang items, but most of them have a bit of a spin. And the original Kern Ki uh, was uh, actually followed on from one of the founding members of the family who had a street stall in Wan Chai over 70 years ago. So from, uh, from, from a street stall to now the second bricks and mortar restaurant in just over 50 years since they moved into a restaurant mm. from the stall. Looks um, nice. So I'll quickly tell you, because we haven't got that much time left, I see, that, um, that the kind of dishes that they're serving up, and um, I, uh, I haven't done this deliberately, but I will ask you, Sadia, have you had lunch yet? No, no, I haven't actually. <laughs> no, well, I had okay. a, I had a little salad earlier on, so um, okay. I'm okay. I'm not starving. Wow, that's, that's brave. That's cold food in yeah, the cold weather. I know, but, uh, I know. Yeah, yeah. well, um, you might want to bear this one in mind um, if you're in the one Chai vicinity, even if, uh, you know, just this sounds really nice and warming and it's really hearty winter food. I am... Personally, I'm, I'm fond of sticky rice and mm-hmm. also of air-dried uh, sausage, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Chinese style. Mm-hmm. So there's one dish that combines the two, glutinous rice with air-dried Chinese sausage and duck liver sausage used um, with, with locally made sausages, not made in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. But, um, but the chef does the dish himself um, with a special soy sauce, which is a little bit sweet and a little bit salty, uh, and uh, with, with, with oil, like a warm soy sauce when it's served. Mm. And on this kind of day, it's a real, it's a real yes. warming one. <laughs> so there's that. There's a, a, and, and another dish that I sent a, a picture of is um, uh, their homemade dish. fish balls with Ooh. turnip and uh, deep-fried pork skin and fermented uh, bean curd sauce over the whole lot. Now, if that doesn't sound robust, what does? So, so um, now this restaurant is back open, obviously, but now it would probably be open, what, oh, only for takeaway, obviously, after 6 o'clock? Takeaway and also for diners of uh, no more than two people, uh, yeah. as is the way now. And that's called Kern Key. Um, and it is in Wan Chai. Okay. Um, so it, mo- it is now on Lockhart Road in Wan Chai. All right. Yeah. Well, we still have yeah. a, a wee bit of time, so I wanted to ask you, you know, we're talking yeah. about sort of winter warmers, and you kind of expressed this thing mm. about my salad, because of salad, I was just trying to be healthy, but I tell you, it is actually quite hard to eat salad in this weather. So if I, I was going to ask you what your favourite mm. sort of winter warmer is, what, what do oh. you do? What do you throw together quickly to keep you warm? You've yeah. got, we've got about well, uh, we've got about a minute. <laughs> Okay, sure, sure, sure. Well, I mean, uh, I do actually like, and it's not something, it's something I have had in homes in Hong Kong, uh, to have a soup, uh, to make a soup, and then to, rather than have it with bread, as I would have done when I grew up in the UK, Mm -hmm. I'll just put some rice in it, some Mm. of the rice that has been boiled from the night before. And I've been having, I had some really excellent soup within the last... um, few days that uh, that was made in a huge saucepan with my family and uh, we and just what had was the soup? some of these cold evenings. What was the soup? Um, what it, soup? It, it had conch, so it was dried conch, mm. which you can buy and dehydrate yourself. Okay. And dehydrated mushrooms, okay. carrots, 
and chicken. And the chicken, and it was simmered for about three hours, and the conch, the flavour of the conch and the chicken really just became so delicate. <laughs> and, um, and after scraping or scooping off the, the rising fat, and there wasn't much, but just from the chicken, it was such a non-oily, it felt so nutritious. There were no... I'm going to stop no you there, candidates. Andrew, that's it. I'm salivating. Okay. That's enough. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I've heard enough. Unless you can bring these things in at some point. Okay, Andrew, thank uh, you ever so much. I will talk to you again next week, <laughs> all right? Sure. So stay okay, warm bye, bye. and stay safe. Time